This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Coin Gaming, Nexo, and Kava Labs. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are watching and listening Untold Stories, where twice a week we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to finally understand how this movement truly came to be. This industry and all cryptocurrency between all the buzzwords we hear on the news and things that our friends tell us are very complex. And I believe that in order to understand where we're going and how we're getting there and what's important and what's BS and really uh, important life topics, that's my job here on this show. And, and, and we'll be able to take that information and, and live better lives and trade off that and build tools and for our own um, freedom. Because when your freedom is taken from you and you have nothing left, the only thing you can do is build the tools to give yourself your own freedom back and to take it because no one's going to give it to you. And that's what I had to do. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of end of the days, right? I'm going to teach you guys how to do that. And today I was actually um, joined by a good friend of mine, Sean Owen, who really pioneered the concept of Bitcoin backed loans. And nowadays it's crypto loans and it's almost like every company that launches is offering this. Well, back in 2016, when he came up with the idea, this was before the ICO bubble of 2017. It was not only uh, something that he had to uh, convince people, but he had to like pioneer a whole new concept of understanding of how we looked at crypto because we never looked at Bitcoin and any crypto as an asset that can be collateralized. And nowadays, that's all we're doing from NFTs to DeFi. It's just collateralizing our crypto to get another asset that we can then do whatever we want with. And that's how our, what our whole industry is doing right now. Sean pioneered that with Salt Lending. And I'm very excited to talk to him and for you guys to hear uh, how it went. Of course, I wouldn't be here today without my sponsors, but really my producers, at the Blockworks Group, Blockworks.co. They are a media and event company, and now they have breaking news and they come out with all the best content. There's nowhere else you should go for your audio and visual content. Blockworks.co. I love you guys. Thank you so much. And here's the show. We are here with Sean Owen. Sean, you're arguably one of the pioneers and i guess it's it's kind of cool for I, I, people call me a pioneer so i can call you one too but really in the space of what we now know is a norm of crypto backed lending i remember with uh, uh salt lending going back to 2017 i remember everyone was even just saying how the business model wouldn't work and the ability to go and and custodialize your crypto and then borrow against it with the crazy volatility of the day and then coming off of like 2017 bull market, there was very few other companies, either projects, coins and tokens doing this. Very, very few. It was very small. This wasn't the top of the news. People weren't saying this is what we need. It wasn't like a given enormous standard. You had to almost like go out and say, hey, not only do I need to convince you of crypto, I need to convince you to invest in my business. I need to convince you that this model that no one else has done before can actually exist. And then you did that. And then now you're, you, you know, and that's doing its, its amazing thing. And now you come here and, that, and you started Equa. And so that's another project. But really, 
we've we've jumped all over. We've we've got the listeners on the hook. They want to hear more. So let's rewind. And really, uh, I want to I'm going to blow you up in a little bit because because in a good way because uh, you came from very humble beginnings. I remember talking to you uh, when you were debating coming over from the the you know like the non crypto industry to the crypto industry. Um, but I want to ask you like we were talking really quickly before the show started, and I wanted to hear your question, your answer. Um, so I figured we'd hit record. But we were talking about how various uh, cities, states, and countries tackle like homeless and the social net a little bit better than others. And kind of we were wondering why no one has ever tackled these type of social justice projects or even like tackling homelessness in your local town. How do you solve that in like a for-profit way? You know, I think that you bring up the, the question that you mentioned the word social in there. And I always think of tragedy of the commons whenever too many people are a part of something, nobody owns it. There's no direct responsibility. And one of the things with for-profit that I've always been such a huge fan of with the market is that when you're responsible or accountable to something, you're like, I have all the risk here. I own all this. And you see this in smaller communities. Like, I don't know a lot of small cities that have a big homeless problem. And it's because there's more of a community. There's more direct sure. interference or interaction with people. So how to solve the problem, I think, is a big topic and probably goes on for quite a while. But we would have to go back and look at just the structure of how these cities are, cities are deciding to organize themselves. Uh, you brought up the home. I think it doesn't the need home. to be a small city, though. Like I live in a city of, you know, six figure amount of people, 150,000 full-time residents, and then you have almost a quarter million in the county, which isn't much bigger. And we joke that if you want to get involved in politics, just walk down Main Street. You know those old movies you'd see where, like, people can go and go to the barbershop and talk to the mayor? Literally, the mayor is having coffee right downstairs probably right now. If I want to talk to my mayor, I just go and be like, hey, Mr. Mayor, and he's there without security. Like, direct democracy can work, should work, and maybe this is a good segue into like how we eventually move over into blockchain credit and capital markets, because everyone thinks that it's all based on code and math and they forget the whole social aspect to it. And so you can have, a, for example, a project that all of the token holders want to approve something great, but the project simply can't reach quorum. So it's like a problem with the mechanics of decentralized governance, not a problem with the governance itself, meaning that people never really, we never really like war games. What would happen if like people don't show up to the vote, you know, on decentralized like governance? It's not even baked into the, someone I was talking to the CEO of this one project the other day, he's like, yeah, we never even baked it into our code. What happens if we don't reach quorum? But um, let's start from the beginning. Tell me. Uh, you you are are from uh, Colorado, and actually Eric Voorhees, one of my good friends, is one of your good friends too, and I believe that's how you got involved in our space. Let's go back to 2016. How did you decide to go from running uh, uh, one of the largest, or like a big restaurant business in in Colorado, to run to literally pioneering crypto backed lending in in our industry today? So I think it actually goes back quite a bit further. Um, you know, my story really to me starts in 2008, 2007 leading to 2008. Just a quick history lesson there for my for me to get going. 
is I, I had just bought a house. I was very happy. I was naively happy with life. Everything just seemed to be functioning perfectly around 2006, 2007. And um, just a whole bunch of different circumstances all came together at the same time for me. Uh, I had been invited by my brother to go to this thing called Rally for the Republic, which was Ron Paul running for presidency in 2008. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, to, I'm not into politics. That doesn't make any sense why I do that. And then right after that, it was September. So we went from September to October. We have the crash. And suddenly all my money was cut in half. And I was terrified. And it was this this fear of, you know, holy shit moment of I need to understand more. And I'm sitting there with all this new information. It completely changed my paradigm all the way. Suddenly I was obsessed with hard money, economics, freedom, liberty. I started looking for everything online related to wherever you could get information. And there was this interesting reality where everybody around me seemed terrified and fearful and yet there were there was this optimistic bright light of Ron Paul just calling it like it was saying you know this is the answer gold money we can go back to this this is how the country was founded this can be great and all these people cheering and rah rahing and I was I was really impressed by that and so I decided to get turned into a bit of an activist on my free time and was looking at how to get hard money or other types of money whether it be uh, all types of pro- projects have been started with countries. What does that mean? Hard money. Their own money. Can can well, you gold, define for that? example, you know, so this the whole topic was around gold that got me really focused on money. Uh, you know, stocks and real estate and everything crashes. Something I'm like, wow, we don't even have we don't have control over the basics. All these things I thought were true are not true. Uh, do we even live in a free economy? Is this a free market? You know, all that everything was just shattered open all over the course of a couple months, and I just completely went down the rabbit hole deep. And the hard money concept was something that made sense to me because no governments control it. We couldn't be manipulated. We couldn't have this economy that was propped up. There was this. Why did your brain look for that hedge, though? Well, it wasn't even necessarily a hedge for me at that point, although I totally think it is a hedge. It was more about what happens if you need food, water, shelter, money, Mm -hmm. commodities, barter. What happens in that environment? And how can you have this sense of, of freedom and wealth and prosperity? You have to become sovereign. You have to really start thinking about how to protect yourself. You have to take on all these new concepts, of, which are not new concepts at all. Of course, they're how it always used to be. Um, but you know, there was this notion of, of money that's at the center of it. And I'd been investing in real estate and investing in business and stocks and bonds and completely just thought, you know, maybe I'm missing something really big here. Maybe I need to understand what money is. And I don't know, I'm, I must have missed something here because I feel like I got blindsided. I wasn't prepared or anything. You know, I felt totally vulnerable. And so I started advocating and doing meetups, Liberty on, it was, it was called Campaign for Liberty. And I was going to Liberty on the Rocks and Campaign for Liberty and all these different types of meetups. And I was going to give it a test to see, can information share? Can the truth get out there? Can we use silver for money, not gold? Because I, you know, I was buying a little bit of gold here and there, but it's pretty expensive and hard to find when you really attempt it. Mm, uh, so, is. you know, I found out almost immediately that you, it doesn't work. Like we could all be advocating for it. Yeah. Here, look at the silver coin. That's really cool. Nobody's going to take it when you go to pay, uh, at the end of the tab. Right. And so we live in this, this society where we, everything has already gone digital, whether we had recognized it or not, it's been digital for a long time. Um, and that really led me to just paying attention to all this, uh, libertarian philosophy, signed up for a thing called the free state project and was listening to a podcast. Oh yeah, called me too. Free state, right? Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, I, I remember when I first heard about your name, it was like nobody around back then, right? And so when I first heard about Bitcoin, it was 
on some future podcast related to free state. I think it was free talk. Probably live free talk live. Yeah. Yeah. Free talk and live I is was, the reason that we all are in that Bitcoin exists today because um, myself and Kodum, everyone, that. yeah, heard about Bitcoin from. Yeah, this is pre charts. This is pre everything, right? So it was, I downloaded the first QT wallet and was like, wow, it's really interesting. I've got computer stuff. I've always been in computers. I, I'm into gold. This guy is saying this is kind of like digital gold. You could imagine like cash on the internet. I, like, I of course, didn't know anything about CPU. But the messages the were time. always, sorry to interrupt you, but those messages were always Bitcoin could be. Bitcoin could yes. be. This oh, yeah. could be. Yeah. It was a dream of movement, a religion in the, in, in the better sense of the word. It wasn't about value and money and, and that. At that point, it was, we need to create that. It was the yeah, building, building time. freedom was this, this, it was like this underpinning of, wow, these guys like decided to just innovate the cypherpunks. They've been up to this for a long time, the punks, the cypherpunks. And they've, there's this problem that people have been trying to solve for a long time that I'm now becoming aware of, right? So then I do the deep dive, find out about e-gold and all the historical stuff around why gold didn't work. And I just started daydreaming about all these things. And it was back then you'd imagine like, wouldn't it be cool if you ever met somebody else who was like into this or we could trade or we could think about paying for a beer or something, but it, there wasn't anybody. Like when I first, the first few times I kept poking around, figuring out Bitcoin, there was, there was the, I think you've brought up many times, there was the ability to wire gram or money gram, somebody money mm. that you didn't know that was anonymous on the internet. I just wasn't that connected because I was super busy. So it was one of these things where whenever I get home from work, uh, you know, from running restaurants and being just exhausted i would geek out and try to do more research about bitcoin and liberty and gold and these things and you said one day you i'm going to work in this industry well I'm, who knew there'd be an industry yeah like, right there just, was no industry i'm still so amazed and, what do you call that though what, what do you call us now are we an ecosystem are we an industry what is this and when did it become that like when mm. what is it called when we went from just a bunch of kids on on the forums and then on the internet and, and some stuff like that. And then and then businesses started around it to to service just that little industry. And someone was asking me the other day, and he's like, why does Bitcoin have value? And I said, Bitcoin has value because you have 10 years of very slowly people believing it has value, starting with the early people. We've I mean, we were go I was just simply selling electronics in my warehouse for Bitcoin. And I was pricing it in whatever I felt it was worth. And that eventually, that's how prices started becoming. That's how a lot of these people were just selling services, their own service, like honey and baklava and, and alpaca socks. And these are people who priced it in their own value. This is what it cost me to sew this sock or however you make socks. This is what the value is. When, when did that change and what do you call that? I call it an evolution or an adoption curve. And it's interesting because I've been asking myself this question lately where every every morning you wake up every day and there's some monumental new thing like mm. Tesla or Michael Saylor or, you know, uh, Paris Hilton, even though she's been in it for a long time. And there's just this she's boom, an OG. Boom, boom, like the, she's definitely OG. Yeah, I think people should recognize that. And then I guess where I've been coming from lately is like, what happens once everybody is using Bitcoin, which is I'm now becoming very realistic right it's it's becoming real it's yeah. happening and there's it's like we're all hopefully the dream is realized where we're all part of a community in the society right that's i think what the big vision always was is that there could be this de decentral version of money that nobody controlled that everybody could participate the, the censorship 
resistant ability for all of us to be a part of this community, right? Is something that was, um, that still is very important to me to figure out how we get there. So I don't know what you call it other than adoption or evolution or something, right? It's a great question. And inevitableness. Like it's such the a hard inevitable, word to, yeah. hard word to pronounce. Inevitable. Right? In retrospect, it was inevitable. I love that tweet. That will be classic forever. Elon yeah, Musk. Right. So go um, on. But yeah, it's just been fascinating to see. It's amazing. So, I mean, you see, you, this book, Bitcoin was in a bear market. And I remember when I had first met you and spoke to you, I was uh, the biggest buzzword of the day were DAOs, decentralized autonomous organization. There was no DeFi. There was no NFT. There was pretty yes. much all Bitcoin, almost no altcoins, and Ethereum was pretty much on its last legs because of the DAO. And I was just getting yeah. out of jail, and I was saying, "I have no, I have no industry left. It's, it's in, it's in smothers. It's we've got just going through a, a bear market." When I went in a year be half before, and would come out, and it's still in the bear market. I'm like, "What the hell's going on here?" And then something changed. Um, entrepreneurs like you and others saw in the ashes, you know, saw like this uh, uh, industry that was ripe, ripe for the picking, like the fruit was perfect. And uh, you all kind of like came up with these novel ideas. Some, some didn't, some, some were stupid, like the Bitcoin toaster and some other things that came out of those years. But uh, Bitcoin backed loans uh, at the time was kind of looked at as, as crazy, right? Like who would, give you their Bitcoin and borrow against it. And then how would you as a business be able to money, do that? Right. right? <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I, I, I it's funny because there were it's, so many precursors that led up to it, but it, it's tell us. such a simple concept, right? Like just such a simple concept that I feel like it was really, 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 really painful to, to advocate for. And um, just because the, the, you would think we were like, okay, we're here. This is this thing we can do. And then you realize that people are hearing about this word Bitcoin for the very first time ever when you're sitting down with them. And, you know, so I had the time line way wrong. Originally I was thinking about how to go talk to banks and stuff, yeah. which was just totally wrong. Um, but yeah, the idea is, is so primitive and just like obvious when you think about it, right? And for me, it became obvious over a sequence of different events because I'd been really looking at Bitcoin from a payment system. I had I'd been hosting all these Bitcoin meetups and was really enthusiastic. I was a huge cheerleader, but I still wasn't able to do it full-time or anything. The closest I could get to full-time was inviting people into my businesses and letting them all spend their coin and rally around getting some speakers in and things like this, and, or just having good conversations and letting it just be a social community, which was amazing because it went from nobody around you know there were a few people out there with their name on it but not many you, you know you there, i was not the guy with my name on it i was the one just need, wanting to meet people in person for the first time and see if we could talk about it and these meetups were really great and then the irs came out and said you know this is going to be treated like property we had a little bit of clarity you know after sure. i've been tra trading on mount gox lost money all these other things just looking for any opportunity to play with anything that came out anything that ever existed was like oh wow there's somebody else doing something let's go check it out you know this is amazing and you could kind of follow everything that was going on back then and then i was i was i was firsthand witnessing people be super enthusiastic pay for a plate of food or some beers and be all excited that the transaction was you know instant almost and then they would immediately be like okay i gotta go buy more right now you know and that happened at the same time where there was this tax situation with treating it like property rather than currency 
And I'd been looking at how to disrupt or think about what you could do for taking payments. Because at that time I was getting instant payments to come through. I'd proved it in a model with a CFO to show that this was a positive, net positive, um, that you could take this stuff and not pay, not only not pay, but you could get a discount because these people come in enthusiastic and you saved all the credit card fees. And that went out the window pretty much immediately as soon as I recognized this is not, people are not going to spend it that for a while or maybe never if it's going to be treated like if it's taxed this way. So what's the next best thing? Well, we're all on the hold it anyway. So maybe we'll, we'll find a way to hold long enough where we'll come back full circle. You know, and that, that was kind of my perspective, thinking about it from a standpoint of what do you do with this and what can you do with it? And there were so many other interesting things going on around that time. Um, but, you know, it was, a, it was a specific breakfast meeting where in 2015, around September, September 29th, 2015, where a group of us who had been working on this project called BitClutch to figure out how to solve payments in the marijuana industry, saying, hey, look, you guys have this huge problem in Colorado. It's one of the first states, I think it was the second state to go to legalize it, yet it wasn't legal federally. So you had this huge problem in the fact that the state was allowing you to do something that you could still totally go to jail for federally. And so you you had all this cash. Like they would they were literally lining people up with seven extra employees with Febreze bottles to Febreze all of the cash to make it not smell like marijuana coming from these dispensaries oh that were popping up all this money that was coming into the system that didn't have a place to go because nobody would bank them. And it was, there was no banks. And so we were like, okay, this makes total sense. We could apply Bitcoin, let it be a settlement in between, get people to start thinking about how ATMs could pop up. ATMs had just started to become kind of an idea. Uh, and you know, it didn't take that long. It probably took about seven or eight months to realize this is not going to happen for two reasons. One, the political environment wasn't going to allow it. It was going to have to come at the federal level, period. Two, all these dispensary owners were looking at us like we were freaking crazy. They were like, mm. You're, that's cool, but like I'm already up to my eyeballs in risk. I don't need any new risk. And I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Bitcoin sounds awesome, but I need a bank. I need yeah. a credit card. I need to go take credit cards. So we kind of finally put that to rest. And right around that time, had this breakfast meeting where we said, let's just throw our good ideas together. Uh, this place called Onefold in Colorado. and we. Put together three or four good ideas and it was really Voorhees that was the one who said you know just his words that I think were you know it'd be really cool is if you could just get anybody to give you some cash for holding this you know if you could just lock it up put it in a vault we could cryptographically and uh, lock it and somebody would see that it's valuable and give you cash hmm. and I was just kind of I was like yeah that's totally what I'm seeing too that would be amazing uh right around the same time I've been working with my banker he he was like, you know, normally we shut everybody's bank accounts down. No reason I'm having this meeting with you is they wanted to shut your bank account down, but you came and met with us so many different times. We don't want to do that. We just want to let you know, hey, we don't think you yeah. should be dealing with this Bitcoin thing. And I was, I was telling him like, well, look, this is I, I could apply for a car. This Bitcoin is worth a lot more than the car. You can treat it better on a balance sheet. You can instantly verify it. I was like this huge enthusiasm, you know, person. Yeah, telling you were them, selling them as Bitcoin as a collateralized asset. Right. Yes. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, we don't understand that. It's got to be in an account where there's custody and authority and all this. And I was like, oh, man. So I saw the opportunity pretty quickly. And we had the other big idea I was really interested in pivoting to was what I would call NFTs now. But I was just looking at how do you take digital property and especially with music, because I've always been very passionate yeah. for artists and thinking about how to solve the royalties problem, which I'm so excited is now kind of starting to happen. But it was way too early back then. I'd been looking at one guy's project and it was 
the scaling problems with Bitcoin were starting to crop up and it was like, damn it, we're, it's not going to work. You know, we're not going to have these instant transactions. We need something slower. So it was kind of obvious that salt was the thing that I was the most passionate about and willing to dedicate my life to at that point in time to support Bitcoin. And, you know, that that's probably about as good as it gets on that question, right? <laughs> yeah, I, it's that's the most detailed answer I've I've ever got to that question. So thank you. It's a great yeah, thank way you, by the way, together. for being an apostle of Satoshi. I, I think about this a lot, like just the sacrifices that have been made by people to dedicate throwing their time and their energy into supporting this concept of Bitcoin is is not only proof of work from the computing level, but mm. it's it's literal proof of work and energy that's gone into this that it's such an amazing level. So I proof of brain. I commend you. I think I speak for many people who are just very happy that you've you've been out here doing what you're doing and just still putting the good word out. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. So with a pretty crazy chaotic year behind us, we've got 200 reasons to put your Bitcoin to the test, courtesy of my friends at BitCasino. And I've gotten you an amazing, amazing offer. You have to go to bitcasino.io forward slash shrimp to get it. But all you have to do is wager 5 MBTC, small amount, wager 5 MBTC or more on BitCasino on any slot, and you get 200 free spins to their legacy of dead game. You get 200 free spins, 200 spins to win more money for free. And all you have to do is do one slot bet. I love these guys. BitCasino was ahead of the crypto game before that game even got going. The original Bitcoin-led online gaming destination, they really, really, really pushed and to continue to set the standard for fun, fast, and fair gameplay because you have the blockchain. You might as well be fair and transparent while you're at it. Deposit, wager, and withdraw in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tron, Litecoin, so many cryptos, all in real time, all the time with BitCasino. Moving right along. Hey guys, it's Charlie. And remember that time we interviewed Anthony Trenchev from Nexo Finance? Well, they are on a roll right now offering 5.9% APR on your crypto credit. You'll be able to borrow at less than 6% on some of your crypto. They got a savings account that's offering 12% interest a year. And now they have an integrated exchange so you can trade between all your cryptos without ever leaving their integrated wallet. It's so amazing. Make sure you check it out at Nexo.io and start earning interest. Start managing your assets because crypto banking just got real with Nexo. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> I love Nexo. It's such a great company. I want you guys to take a moment and check out what the folks and my newest sponsors over at Kava Labs are doing. Because up until now, whenever you do anything related to DeFi, like borrowing, lending, uh, loans, bonds, stable coins for Binance, Huobi, Kraken, or all these different places, they actually have been using Kava Labs on the back end. And now you can get those same APYs and those same awesome features that these financial institutions have been getting you can get them too all you have to do is go to kava.io and check it out but on top of that kava and binance working for international women's month have been launching a fifty thousand dollar prize pool that's ending this week all you have to do is go to binance or click the link in my show notes you'll be able to go on there trade a hundred dollars so all you do is trade a hundred dollars and you get cards that you're entered into drawings that you can get up to $50,000 a part of a prize pool. Make sure you check them out, kava.io. It's interesting that you bring up that proof because I believe that proof of work is really should be relabeled as proof of brain, but maybe Satoshi didn't want to do that for 
for whatever reasons because it was a little confusing. But that's what you alluded to, right? Bitcoin is like at the end of the day, is just a a a a battery for energy. We have, and it's a way to to tokenize and commoditize and then collateralize. Oh man, I can't come up with all these C's, man. Uh, energy, energy, commoditize, collateralize. It's all energy. Energy is the one resource that in the world that not only um, is it, it's a finite resource, but at the end of the day, energy can never be transferred or uh, created or destroyed. It can only be transferred. So the, that energy exists in the, you know, the, probably the smartest muscle is our brains, right? So when we're, when we're looking at latency, everyone's thinking of like these big data centers and Bitcoin miners and, and everything that's, that's creating, that's taking the transferring of energy, of water power, you know, going through a dam, spinning a wheel, and then it's transferring into this token that we call Bitcoin. And that's why it has value. Uh, because these miners have been selling it since the beginning of Bitcoin's time and enough people on the other side have say, I want this, I see value and demand. Therefore, you create a perfect equilibrium of balance of supply and demand. But going back to the proof of brain, let's go, let's like, for, let's go continue for the zero latency aspect of it. And let's say, really, it's not the, the, the energy transference is not the water rushing down, you know, the waterfall that's being transferred. It's not nuclear power. It's not splitting of the atoms. It's not uh, um, solar energy. It's the brain power that was used to figure out how to harness everything I just described and the constant brain power needed to maintain all of that and to do it in a way with the most efficient way possible, zero latency. And that is what the transference of energy is. So really like proof of brain is what powers Bitcoin. I love opinion. that. You know, I was going to add something too, which is that you can't have that conversation of energy without thinking about the concept of time and this clock keeping mechanism of how much energy has gone into something over how much time or how much energy oh, that's has a good trans point. transferred over time and uh, just how humans generate so much energy, right? Every day we're, our heart and mind is pumping. We're pumping it into something. Uh, the only other good C words I would add there is co-creation and collaboration are two that I think is just really uh, empowering for us to think about like how this is coming together from so many different angles from a truly, we use the word decentral all the time, but thinking about sure. like, true decentralization is every individual participating in something that would be the ultimate uh, concept of, or, or an abstract of the max decentralization would be some network of society where every individual is the node. And it really is interesting to think about yeah. the proof of brain. Cause I could take that in like a, a positive and a, a terrifying way. Right of how brains can be used to mine Bitcoin, um, but but that's where what do you it think is. That's going. I mean, I want to start asking you questions. Like this. I like, have to. There are a lot of things that I can't say because I'll be called crazy, and there are a lot of things that I've been waiting until the development and the attitude towards crypto has changed before I can say things. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I I'll at the end of the day, this technology. And its first use cases, that is Bitcoin and, and the further you have like the Ethereum virtual machine and you have Tor complete software and all the further development that we're going today, at the end of the day, it's creating the zero, uh, it's going to have, at the end of the day, there's going to be zero time. It'll be milliseconds in the beginning, but it'll be zero time of how our brains communicate with each other. And it'll all be done 
on blockchain technology in a decentralized way. Our brains will all be decentralized identities where the blockchain network doesn't know who one brain from the next. And you control all that data. It's fully permissionless, fully decentralized. But that's how it's all going to come to be. Everything that we do now that takes time is not going to take time anymore. Anything that we do now that takes time, it's going to change, especially at first in the digital realm. And it's scary. And you have to think about it because I can ask you, it's like, you, you know, you ever see that like uh, cover of Time magazine that talks about the coming of like the devil of the satanic wars where it's like there will be a, a currency of the glow yeah, of yeah, the, the world, you know? Yeah. So like, how do you, how do I go to sleep at night furthering this industry, furthering this revolution, but at the same time, am I bringing the coming of like the end of the world? Or is the coming of the end of the world a bad thing? If you look at that, because maybe that's when freedom actually, I don't know, it's scary though. And I don't think I'm like smart I love enough. this topic. Yeah, it's no, scary. I think it's amazing <laughs> because like all things you've got, the technology especially, there's this dual side of the sword, right? Like there's two sides of everything, whether it's atomic energy, Bitcoin, you name it, right? Everything has the potential for, it almost feels like balanced, equal, good or bad. And to me, it's the point that I feel strongly about, because I've thought about this a long time. I don't, you know, there's probably no perfect answer for it, but it's having control versus having somebody else control you at the end of the day. Meaning if there's digital information that you control and yours and I am equal to you, and we both have the ability to participate with each other consensually, which is the C word that I love almost the most is consent, then yeah. we live in a good world because bad things don't happen when people consent to them at the same way, right? When you look at almost anything bad that's ever happened, you could say to the person that's, did, that it happened to, did you want that to happen? And no. Would you yeah. have that happen if they consented? No. The answer is obviously no. And so when we think about this plugging into this hive mind type instant brain where this could go with one currency, I think it's fundamental that we face the facts that we cannot perceive any longer thinking about authority and authoritarians having the ability to control something like that. History is just plagued with so many examples of a control gone bad, even, even in the company, like a small company, or even in a family, even at the smallest unit, when, there's to when somebody has authority over somebody else and somebody can be compelled to do something without their consent, we have a problem. And so to me, it's, can we do this in a way that is decentralized? It's not mm. even can we, it's a must. It is a, we must have a decentralized system where there are no particular rulers that can abuse Well, let me power. unpack that for a second. And, and using the family unit and then like looking at like Nazi Germany, for example, what happens in a situation where like the family unit is going through something and they rely on one person who may not be the best person to handle it, but it's the one who steps up. And then because everyone, you know, as a society or as a family unit agreed, then this person has more authority, you know, authoritative powers. Uh, you look at the hyperinflationary period of that Germany went through and then Hitler, Hitler's rise to power. You can't see the parallels in like a family unit going through something. And then one person ends up being the, the breaking up of the family. So then on, Answer me that question on the ethos of voluntarism, right? So that's like someone who first taught me Bitcoin. I think it was like Josh Harvey. He said, Charlie, forget the whole anarchist ending of the Fed. Think of now transcending the Fed, like creating an alternative, better system. And people will voluntarily use this system. That's, and that's been always been my personal ethos in this space. 
How do you like, how do we reconcile that? How do we do that? I mean, I, I agree with you. I think it has to be opt-in, has to be voluntary. If it's not and a the ability system, to opt out, won't opt in. Yeah. Meaning the ability to opt out, right? As soon as, if all things were equal and you could opt in and opt out of every system, I think we'd find out really quickly the better systems because people would suddenly realize, and it's happening right now. You can see how fast people are deciding they could move uh, from one place to the other, depending on what system is in place or from one currency to another. I don't think we've even started to see how big that's going to go if we go all the way, but that it's, a, I would say fundamental that we agree it has to be something that is opt-in or opt-out, right? That, yeah. or it doesn't work. And to answer the question about what, I mean, it's great responsibility comes with great wealth and what comes with great responsibility comes with any type of authority. Those are things that we have to be very careful of when, we, when we're building systems of authority. But right now we're, in, we're living, I was born into a system of total authority and I didn't really realize it for a while. So I think if anything, I'm extremely optimistic that we're heading on a curve towards more yeah, that's true. consent. We were born you know, into think, a very authoritative like, world. Yeah, if you look at where we're at now, I'm infinitely more optimistic than I was before, right? That's one of the things I love about Bitcoin still is to me, it's this, it's this bright optimism that we can all share in that nobody necessarily controls, which is critical to it, right? Yeah. So it's still just fundamental that we figure out the family unit is really interesting on so many levels because that's where community starts. It's, and that's how people's upbringing, that's where trauma comes from almost always. All these things start at the family level. Yet, how do you control that? We've got to find a better way to let society evolve and opt in and out of the right systems, I think, to just keep it on point. So we, yeah, we create digital decentralized tools, right? And so it's interesting because Anytime you read the news or you open up any of your newsletters, like I read the morning brew or whatever, you read anything. Most of the news is about like this business, that this corporation, that this government, that this family unit, this it's always like related to that. So maybe the common thread is like how we organize ourselves as humans. Maybe that needs to be changed. Right. And then we tried that with the Dow. The first Dow had the opportunity to, to do that. And then it, it was a big hack and it fell apart. And we had to like take a step back and say, maybe we're going, like we're jumping 10 steps. Uh, and so you start, you went ahead and, and, and started another project called Equa that essentially like you're trying to, without jumping too many steps, you're trying to like fundamentally change how that organization is run using a system that we're already familiar with. So we have equity, organizational management, cap tables. We have all these things, you know, employees, shares and stock. And it's all not just how you're compensated, but it's how you work. It's how you think about work. It's how you go about and treat your, your family when you get home from work. It's how we we're involved in everything is the thread is common here. So now how are you changing that? Like, what are the problems as you see in, in organizations today? And, and what are you trying to solve? Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with this topic. And it's really interesting that when we first met, we were talking about the Dow, right? Right when that happened, right? So I think so, yeah. And we're still talking about the Dow in a way or DAOs. Mm. And so just like proper, I think a lot of times, you know, there's innovation and there's just discovery and then there's just reapplying new technology to old systems. And with Bitcoin, to property, treating it as something you could borrow against, it, it seems when you look at it kind of inevitable. And I would, I'm looking at where does all this value come from? How do people organize? If we're going to go into this world, we must have a better way to govern than what we're doing right now at the government levels. We all know that one way or another. And these systems exist, yet 
they don't work for as well as they could. And so I think the promise of blockchain in a lot of ways or technology at large is to take some of these systems that are not working and make them work. Like to, to jump around a little bit here for a second before I make all my points on the doubts. If you look at what happened with GameStop, right? There was, there's, you can't have fake stuff. If you have fake things where it's in multiple locations or bad copies of things, there's going to be fraud. Just like there's going to be fraud if there's fake identities. There's going to be fraud in all these things whenever you have a system that is flawed. And I think when we look at the way that uh, organizations have been created for a long time, the concepts are great. They don't need to go away. Uh, equity is great. Voting is great. There's all these different ways you can come to consensus, yet we still have massive freaking problems in our government and people don't feel represented. We have delegated proof of stake in our government, but it doesn't work, yeah. <laughs> right? And we all know it doesn't work. And so how do we make it work? And I feel like you have to go to, to get to the end, which would be total alignment. Uh, and we can touch on that later of all humanity, all being a part of one society, total alignment, all working for one team with an abundant mindset not scarcity and fighting with each other, then you have to go all the way back to the inception of where is value even created? So we have ideas, we have energy every day, we wake up and we put our efforts into things. We think about things, we work on things and we create wealth. And I'm, I'm a proponent or a big believer of transacting with each other in a consensual way where both parties are happy because they transacted, meaning neither person feels like they got the bad end of the deal. And so I'm, I'm fascinated, almost probably obsessed with this concept of wealth generation at the transaction layer and how often it goes wrong still today. And I think these types of technologies can really improve that. But if you look at just how organizations come together and how they're formed and the formation stuff, it's kind of arcane the way we're still putting stuff on paper, sticking yeah. the filing cabinet and expecting it to mean something. It's like, I, I can't go pull up corporate government documents somewhere in some file location anytime I want to make a decision. It doesn't work like that. And so what happens is people end up either not making decisions or making bad decisions, or you start to have this disagreement or unalignment or, or corruption that you can go in all kinds of bad ways. And so I'm really focused on, so how do we realize this idea of a DAO? Uh, how do we show what can be tokenized that is of value, not uh, not shit coins, but actual taking real value. How do we improve the systems that exist now that hopefully all end up feeding the global the global economic wealth that we all share in, underpinned by something right now? I think is best emblemized by Bitcoin. You know, how do we build on top of that rather than competing with it? And I think that organizing with people and giving people a stake and thinking about how to delegate or make decisions is is fundamental. And it even goes deeper than that when you think about how do we agree on what is true? What, why do we think some things are objective and some things are subjective? And all of these have to come with communication. Like they're complex topics, right? You have to communicate about things. You have to share information. And then you have to be able to make agreements, disagreements, and be able to retract them and change them and evolve them if they're wrong. So getting to the state where if we go where you say we could be going, which I tend to agree, let's say that we are instantaneously connected and working in this large ecosystem that's underpinned, we're going to need to make sure that we've got some fundamental parts of society worked out that right now are not worked out on paper or the way people think they are just don't yeah. work, you know? Because they're inefficient. So do you think like... Exactly. Do you think that 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 if, if two people are born, one one is a have and one is a have not, but they're born with the same exact brain capacity and the same exact like ability to think and 
and, and connect dots together and theoretically should have the same opportunities. Do you think that the reason that those two different people don't is simply because of the, of, of that the haves can do things better, faster, more efficiently, have access to more opportunities, more just, just, no. I mean, the ability to like, just go and then take your paycheck and have it direct deposited at a bank, as opposed to like having to get your check and then go to a check cashing place and then get raped on like half of the fees. Just that, that efficiency in and of itself, that little small one is such a fundamental difference between the haves and the have nots. It's a great point, right? Hard question. So thank you. It's tough. I'm not trying to solve them. I just don't want Bitcoin and crypto to be this thing for the haves. Right. Because that's what I'm not here for. Well, wait, there's the censorship resistance has to maintain, right? We have to leave it open. The system has to be open. We have to allow for people to come in. You know, it's an interesting topic when you think about so many success stories that have come from people who just don't care. They're they're set on making something for themselves and they can come from rags to riches, right? That's happened. It happens all the time and it comes out of left field. And so I would never want to discourage anybody from that. I think that's ultimately the goal is that everybody could be born into this environment where we all feel optimistic and there's a shot and we're leveraging off the shoulders of giants. Yet everybody is innovating and building new pieces to it. And I think in a really messy way that still is happening, but is it fair right now? No, totally not. Many people have uh, opportunities that they squander. Many people have opportunity don't have opportunities mm. and that precludes them right like bad bad things do happen which causes fear and all these other bad things but that's not where our attention needs to go our attention has to say how do we continue to maintain the ethos and the the values of this that have made it so important why is it important it's not just important because number goes up that's awesome but that's not really anything right that's a representation of wealth and in optimism and exuberance and people having more, but why? And I think if we continue to build what's good for everybody, it benefits, right? And that's hard. It's hard to do. It's really yeah. hard because of all the different circumstances and positions people come from, but that's what makes it exciting, right? All opportunities come as obstacles. What type of products are you launching? So all the fundamental stuff that you have brought up uh, that you need. So think, I think about it like this. If we're going to improve how people agree with each other to create these DAOs, and it doesn't have to be DAO. Like I think it could be central to decentral. Sure. And that's a whole topic. So I'm mostly interested in perfecting the inception point of a tool where you could say, hey, Charlie, I've got an idea I want to share with you. And we, it usually always starts with just sharing some information. One person shares with another. So there's only two parties in any type of organization when you really think about it. Yeah, on paper, often we we found this thing and we document it and then suddenly there's all these people. That's not really how it happens. So I want to get granular on how a DAO would evolve. I don't think you can just poof one out of air then everybody gets airdrop something. I think it's more realistic how companies get formed, intellectual property gets formed and ideas kind of get built on is that it goes from one to two and two to three and three to four. It expands, right? It can go more geometric than that faster. So the tools that we're launching on, how do you create an organization? How do you know that there's ownership rights built into it from day one? How do you know that it's got the permanence of uniqueness that would collect intellectual property? How do we know that when you invite the next person, that there's a decision point on how you're going to evolve the governance, how you're going to evolve the cap table, how you're going to evolve the metrics. And so all these fundamental parts that people have been doing forever with different types of tools, 
I think all have the ability to be integrated into this type of technology where we could rapidly evolve and have better fixes to problems. I agree. So that's really what I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm looking at any way possible. We can improve how people agree with one another so that they can make better decisions so that we can have an improved version of shared truth so that we can generate more wealth. Right. So all these things are predicated off of one to the other to ultimately get to ultimate alignment. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do a, like a simple product of like the cap table, like the best, the best company out there today is Carta because I invested in a company and I get like shares issued there, but it's like, Yep. Just a glorified Excel spreadsheet. It doesn't, nothing happens. Yeah. It just, well, one of the things, <laughs> exactly. So, and I mean, I won't, I won't rag on them, right? No, but it's fine. But that's the industry time. right for the taking now. Like there's a whole industry totally. right for the taking. It's crazy. Well, and it's a lot more than that, right? So I think more than a glorified spreadsheet. Okay, great. There's this fatigue, I think, of applications right now where I don't want to, I don't want to download more tools for things unless they tightly integrate because it's just more fatiguing. and. Fundamentally, there's this problem with copy and paste on the internet that's great yeah, for is. fiction, right? It's amazing for fiction, for creating, for creators. But when it comes to things that you want to have certainty on or truth, you need something like Bitcoin. It's just hard. Nobody can edit it. Immutable. And with the, the blend between the two, you know, that's not something that any of these other companies are focused on. They're saying, hey, we'll give you the best possible cap table and look at all this cool stuff you can manage your portfolio. With. Well, that's great. But how does that connect? Where does the English and the math and the logic get connected? How do we open that up to where everybody can benefit and evolve from it? Where does the market really need to go in order for us to fully transcend where we're at today into open available markets that are censorship resistance, right? So it's it's way more than just one of these tools. And I, I intentionally went after just some primitive tools to start because you never want to bite off and say, hey, we're yeah. going to solve world health, right? Like immediately. But to underpin that, it's really about this deeper truth of how do we all organize with each other? How do we generate wealth with each other? How do we stay aligned with each other so that we don't destroy wealth, right? These are some really fundamental things I think that we all have to find a way to solve. It's not just wealth though, it's freedom. Uh, like, oh, totally. And I, I I'm not trying to scare anyone, but we're going towards a future. You th like COVID-19 is just the start. There's gonna be more pandemics, unfortunately. We're gonna get better at dealing with them. There's gonna be other issues. But at the end of the, at the end of the day, there's only one tool we have against those authoritative regimes that even are dressed up as nice democratic governments. You know, you think that everyone has to look and act like a authoritative dictator. It doesn't. You can have shadow organizations that make very nice looking governments look very nice. And at the end of the day, when you have things that look like vaccine passports, et cetera, et cetera medical databases that are all centrally run. It's, it's the argument. It's not that we're against the concept of having the identity documents that tell us what type of diseases we don't have. That's not the argument. The argument is having it centrally run by people who have no business running our lives. These people have, they're elected to make laws not to control our lives, our information, and our money. And at the end of the day, the only tool we have as people against these folks is us, is we have each other, the power of the people. I sign every freaking check and every note that for 10 years with vides in numeris, strength in numbers. That's all we have. 
So what you're doing is you're, and you say like, I, I don't want to bite off more than I can chew is you're slowly getting people used to the idea that you can do the things that you've been doing already that we think have to be done by these centralized corporations, governments, but it actually could be run by all of us. Exactly. No, I completely agree with you, Charlie. Like, I think that there's this, there's always this terrifying potential future, right? Like there's always fear. And the best thing about fear is it shows you immediately what you don't want. Now, if you dwell on it, you probably get a lot more of it and it don't fix anything and you just go off and do nothing. That's a good point. If you realize the opposite of it, of what you do want and take uh, responsibility to say, this is on me, I'm going to do the best I possibly can. I'm going to make the biggest impact I can. If we all do that, we all end up in a better place. And so I completely agree that we have to get it to the individual unit, right? Like I would be okay in a lot of these circumstances if I knew that you owned your data, I own my data. And we have some relationship between each other that clearly outlines what we're sharing and we can retract that if we want to. And we can go there. So power in numbers, I love that. I totally do agree that is ultimately where we need to go. And there's a lot of things we have to avoid, right? There's lots of examples of crowds and mobs that are just sure. not the right way of doing it. Yeah. But when, a, when you think about personal individual protection and freedom, ultimately, if we can get to the point where you know, pie in the sky, of course, is that we avoid all of that terrifying, scary stuff by solving better solutions and building it for each of us. If it, if it works for us all equally, um, that we have the same tools. Now, what people do with that, that's up on their own. So I'm not, I would never mandate equality or equal this or that. I think yeah, you can't all force must be treated equal. Equality. Right? That's the problem, right? right? You can't. So how do we take this opt-in system? Yeah, I really think somebody, we all need to focus a lot more on how do we keep the keys to our information. Uh, there's a movement now, right? Like people are moving off some of these social platforms and stuff, but it, all of the bad stuff comes from abuse of power or the wrong people being able to do the wrong things to others. No consent, right? We have to throw that up. We have yeah, to stay. Agreed. It's no, no exceptions. We are not going to live in a world that is driven by authority only. It's got to be consent driven all the way down to the family unit. We've got to find a way to where these bad things stop happening. Because if we just keep building crazy, powerful technology and handing it over to people that are in control, a small minority that can control everything, it's horrible. We can't do that. Right. And I think deep down, everybody knows that they're just afraid that of, well, how do we get there? So we just build the tools and continue down this path of empowering people to be able to participate with each other in the society. I think, I think we'll get there, right? It's, that's what does drive alignment is when we all know that it's benefiting everybody here. Nobody's the journey is better than the just destination. I think, Hey, Sean, sure. how can my listeners uh, follow up with you and read some of your writings and, and social media and, and, and listen to things like that? How can they, how can they follow up with you? Yeah, reach out anywhere. I think um, Twitter is really easy. Sean Owen, anywhere on Equa, Equa.global. Any of the sites will take you there where our app is. Awesome. You can go to Salt still, Salt. Any, anywhere you want to find me online, I'm, I'm pretty active. I don't publish a ton of stuff other than just work, work. But I, I'd be happy to chat with anybody who's interested or shares the same division mission. Awesome. Thank you, Sean Owen, for coming on Untold Stories today. I really appreciate it. And I, you gave me a lot to think about. How do, how do we create more equality without forcing it? It's a, it's a hard it's a hard toe. It's a hard line to toe. Did I say that right? Toe the line? Yeah, right. It's a, it's yeah, a hard, hard line toe to toe. The line. <laughs>
<laughs> no, Charlie, this is amazing. I love catch up to you. I hope we see you in uh, Miami or down in Florida sometime. Oh, soon. I can't wait. So Bitcoin happy to Miami, see how, what you're doing. Keep up the great work. This show is amazing. I love the show. Thank you.